Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Masson, Ohio, and our goal is to let everyone know that God can give them new life. So whether you are local to our area or you are just tuning in for some encouragement today, I pray that this episode will bless and propel you forward to live that life that God has called you to live. everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Truly, I thank God for this day. I thank him for his, his grace and his mercy. I thank him for another opportunity to be here in the house of the Lord, being able to teach his people. I thank God for my pastor uh, and bishop. I thank God for all the ministerial staff here, both men and women. I truly thank God for this church. Um, fell in love with the church the first time I came. And God is good. I appreciate everything that not only he has done, but you have done for, for me. <laughs> Amen. At this time, uh, let us open our Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to the book of Acts, chapter 27. The book of Acts, chapter 27, verses 26 through 31. Acts, chapter 27, verse 26 through 31. Once again, Acts, chapter 27, 26 through 31. And it says that, Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island, but when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms, and when they had gone a little further, they sounded again, and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as, for, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this hour. We ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you bind every demonic spirit, Lord God, that's in this place, Lord God, that wants to visit. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, we rebuke that spirit. We release healing. We release blessings, Lord God. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, and we praise you. We magnify you. Bless your word, Lord God. Open your people's ears and eyes, Lord God. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Bear with me this morning. God's taking me on a long journey here. The message that God has given me for today, he wants you to stay in the ship. Stay in the ship. Stay in the ship. 
Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly, I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly, I wished for the morrow. Vainly, I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating at my chamber door. This it is and nothing more. Presently, my soul grew stronger hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact as I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into the darkness peering, long stood I there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams. No mortal ever dared to dream before, but the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This is whispered and it echoed, murmured back the word Lenore, merely this and nothing more. Prophet said, I think of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed, the here ashore, desolate yet undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there, balm in Gilead, tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. The telltale heart, true, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous, I had been and I and am, but why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all, was a sense of hearing acute. Bear with me, saints. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. I had heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. 
It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object, there was none. Passion, there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye, with film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up in my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Both of these poems, saints of God, were written by Edgar Allan Poe in whom he had a profound impact on American and international literature as an editor, a poet, and critic. He is most known for his poetry and short stories, particularly his tales of mystery and the macabre. It said that he suffered, according to history, from depression, possibly being bipolar as well as alcohol and drug abuse which in fact led to his death from complications related to alcoholism. When we read great novels and short stories, including the famous Harry Potter series, our thoughts go to places and worlds we may never physically travel to. That is why the great writers of our time, past and present, do all they can to take us to a place of make-believe and some actually take us into how they actually think all the time. This is the wisdom that is earthly, it is sensual, and it is devilish. When we read these books, it opens portals into our souls, causing fantasies to run rampant through our hearts and hidden lusts that you thought would never rear its ugly head arise causing you to think of having affairs with people that are already married. Some of these books are written by people who the devil is the voice behind the author's mind, knowing, that, knowing what each person that reads it has a desire for. We as Christians must be careful what we read, because more that you indulge yourself is the more you find yourself somewhere that you thought you would never, ever return to. This is why the word of God is so hated by the word, the world, I'm sorry. It is a thorn in the flesh, along with its author, who is God. The world loves its own people of God, and it hates the one that created it. This book, when reading it, it's like turning a light on in a dark room and watching roaches scatter, hoping not to be seen. Yet the light finds you out. In a world that has many great authors, there is none that can equal to our Lord and Savior. And Hebrews 12 and 2 says, looking to the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean for him to be the author and finisher of our faith? 
The word in the Greek comes to us in two words. First, one is atios. Literally, cause, hence, author. Two is archego, meaning chief leader, prince, captain, then author, originator. In other words, he is our captain and our pioneer. Jesus is the first cause of our faith. He blazed the trail of faith, showing us what it means to trust our Heavenly Father with our whole lives. Some may ask you, naturally, inclined to think creatively, do you love words and language? It goes on to say that people who are authors produce well-crafted pieces of work for us to read and to enjoy. They use words to invoke our imagination, educate us, and hold our interest. We have novelists, poets, journalists. We have screenwriters. We have playwriters and copywriters in which they create, they write clear and concise copy for ads and markets, materials, and websites. Some said that authors use the voice, use their voice in the form of text to express ideas and thoughts, images and information. You have your story writer. He or she specializes in writing what we call short fiction stories for magazines. Second, you have author or novelist. This individual writes long stories. Their books consist of 80,000 to 200,000 words. So this writer needs to be able to plan, saints of God, and execute his or her work. Then you have a journalist. This person is someone writing and published in newspapers and magazines and read by thousands, if not millions. You even have what the world called a, a ghost writer. They are anonymous, who writes books, articles, stories, and other texts that credit to another person. The workplace of an author is typically, typically any place that he or she is able to produce work. Their desk may have a computer surrounded by books, encyclopedias, a dictionary, a thesaurus, some may like the gentle hum of conversation and easy background and find a coffee shop to be their place of work. The world says that options are endless as long as the author is able to find a comfortable place to be creative and productive. Some writers will sometimes be so tuned into the creative moment that they may forget to take care of their bodies. And I thank God for Jesus because he took care of his body so he could be our perfect sacrifice. In order for authors' minds to be refreshed, they may need to stretch, they may need to move around and have something to eat. And rehydrating will help as well. Since our God is spirit, is a spirit, John 4, 24, he doesn't get tired, but his writers, 
that he moves upon. They do get weary and need their rest unless you are in the presence for a long time, such as Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. But eventually, they came from the mount, and while out of God's presence, needed rest for their souls. Our Lord has, has used many men to write their original manuscripts. Were there just men? Were there just men? Were there women involved as well? We know we have women characters, but have women even participated in writing the Bible? We may never know. But we do have a lot of women that play a significant role in the development of God's word. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, the author Moses was credited for penning these books. And some even said he wrote the book of Job because according to history, Moses lived not too far from this man of God. We have the book of Joshua written by he himself writing about the wars and the dividing of the land. And the famous quote that we use, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, is taken from this author. The author of Judges was supposedly written by Samuel. 1 Samuel 4.18 and 7.15 identify Eli and Samuel as the last judges of Israel. The authorship of Ruth is unknown, but could she have written it? But some say due to the author's concern about these two female characters could have been written by a woman. First and second Samuel, they say, could not have been Samuel because he dies in first Samuel, chapter 25. So it could be possibly more than one author. The book of Kings, author is unknown. Perhaps written refugees participated in the history of this book after seeing the Assyrian capture Israel. First and second chronicles, these books are ascribed to Ezra. They say that the author was certainly a Levite, a Levite, given his attention to matters of worship and the care of the temple. It is said Ezra and Nehemiah were composed by the same person, like chronicles that have both sets. Esther, this book was attributed to Mordecai according to some rabbinic circles. Another is Nehemiah who was a cupbearer to Artaxerxes, in which he was the successor of Xerxes or Ahasuerus. The books of the Bible are usually ascribed credited to its author because of the names and sometimes, as you see, they are not as well. The New Testament authors are very cut and dry, except for the book of Hebrews. In Luke chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, makes it very clear, saints of God, who the author is without any arguments. Luke, in both openings, he addresses a person by the name of Theophilus. Who was this person? Who was this person? Was he a real person? Was he an important person in history? Many theories surround this person, but only God and Luke may only know. 
It is said that the name was an honorary title of the person whom the Gospel of Luke and Acts are addressed to. Some tradition says that he was a person and not a title. Some say he was a Roman official because in the Greek, Luke refers to him as kratitos, meaning most excellent. History can go on and on and on about who this person is, but one thing is this. I know is that from, that, that from the writers that he must be born of the water and of the spirit. But today my focus will be on the 27th chapter of the book of Acts and its author. Some historians downplay the precise writings of Luke. It says that, it states that no person, no person could accurately write down almost every detail that happened, especially if you read the book of Acts, this journey that he has taken with Paul when he was brought to Rome by ship. William Mitchell Ramsey wrote of Luke that he was a historian that Luke was a historian of the first rank, and that he should be placed among the greatest historians. Brother Luke records the life of Christ in 30 years of the early church. According to history, Luke cared for Paul at least a portion of the second and third missionary journey. For a time, he was the companion of imprisoned Paul shortly before the apostles' martyrdom. As we know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and we see him even persecuting the people of God. And you see what God put him through because of that. Luke had to, uh, uh, Paul had to go through such pain, such agony. Do I feel sorry for Paul? No, I don't. Because he persecuted and ridiculed and killed God's people. He, you know, he caused some of them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. That's how bad Brother Paul was. So I don't, I don't, I don't have any sympathy for what Paul went through and what God took him through. But for a time, like I said, he was a companion of imprisoned Paul shortly before the apostles' martyrdom. He was remarkably, just talking about Luke, he was remarkably intelligent. And with the Holy Ghost helping him, made him that much more the better. So young people, when you have the Holy Ghost and even the adults, the Holy Ghost will make you wise beyond your years. You just have to feed the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important in our youth, you know, to, to, to walk upright before God because he will make you the most wisest person and be able to talk to the most highly intelligent person and to the, the maybe the least intelligent person. But that's why the Holy Ghost is just 
so important. It says Luke was said to be content to devote his years to researching biblical accounts and being the personal physician to the aging Apostle Paul. The Apostle Luke was born in Syria and he was a Gentile. Anybody that was not a Jew, they were a Gentile. Was he one of the original? It is said that art is a natural fit for a narrative because much art is a story, saints. But the story is up for interpretation from this viewer. The story in art itself changes depending on who is looking at it. The artist leaves us clues and descriptors, which are words or expressions, and emotions, and we are left to put the pieces together. Here in the book of Acts of the Apostles, the whole book is a narration or a written spoken commentary to convey a story to a certain audience. It is conveyed by a narrator, which is a specific person or specific literary voice developed by the creator and to de deliver information to the audience, particularly about the series of events. Lyman Grant, who is a teacher and a writer says, a point of view from a narrator is to think of movies. When making a movie, the director, someone, the director is someone who is telling a story. Someone is the narrator. But the director of the movie must think about where the camera stands and what camera looks at, what cameras that people look at in every scene in the movie. In a horror movie, sometimes the camera becomes the monster, stalking the prey, and at other times it becomes also the character, slowing, slowly moving forward in the dark unknown. And sometimes we hear a voiceover as if, if a character were telling the story. Here in Acts is what I believe is to be a first-person point of view. The narrator tells us what he or she experiences and thinks about its experience. All the actions are seen and reported by someone. In this case, it is Luke in this story. This also brings us to another aspect, is that we should look at the relationship between the main character and the narrator. This including the time and events that have occurred. The book of Acts is so, excuse me, is so well put together that you can see the genius and the time and effort put into researching the historical facts. Luke's character reveals he was a very educated physician and wrote for a specific purpose. For example, Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1 shows us how Luke sets the events using Roman emperor's reigns. In Luke chapter 2, 3 and 1, Acts 18 and 2. He fixed the birth of Jesus in the reign of Emperor Augustus. 
when Herod was king in Judea, and Curnius was governor of Syria. He even fixed the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. Not only that, the beginning of Acts, in which Luke writes about the day of Pentecost, but the description of when and how and what day that it happened, and the day that it happened. And I looked at that as well. Luke had enough time to observe the fire that sat upon each and every person's head, the 119. Wasn't that amazing? God gave him time to see that so he could write it in the book for our learning. He even goes far to say who was there and about how many, including Mary, the mother of our Savior, and his brethren. Jesus said, you must be born of the water and the Spirit. Luke records those that are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, making it plain that it was done in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jesus said that they would speak in new tongues, and he records that so no one would say that the evidence of you getting the Holy Ghost was not recorded. I thank God for Brother Luke and for his authorship, because without him, how would we have known how we received the Holy Ghost? What would have been the evidence if Brother Luke had not wrote it? From the miracle at the beautiful gate to the opposition Peter and John faced to Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Ghost, from the miracles, from Stephen's preaching and his stoning, and him seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of God is all documented for our learning. In the eighth chapter of Acts, he writes about Saul of Tarsus, who would later would become his greatest friend and travel companion. Through beatings, he watched his friend get beat through beatings and scourgings hunger and stoning, Paul was left for a night and a day in the deep to being brought to shore by God on the island of Malta. Imagine being Luke, seeing your best friend beaten and stoned. And there's a possibility they don't say anything about Luke going through the same type of persecution with Luke. I mean, with Paul. But let us turn our attention to the chapter of Book of Acts. Luke records Paul's farewell voyage in chapter 21 to him getting arrested and then addressing the Jewish mob at that time. The speech in chapter 22 to his address of the council and the slap by God's high priest. What caught my attention with Luke is chapter 23 verses 25 through 30 is how by his resilience Luke somehow got a letter 
if you ever read Luke chapter 23, it's a letter that was written. How did Luke get this letter? But it was a letter that was written by the chief captain, Claudius Lysias of the Roman army, explaining the case against Paul and the reason for the transfer to Felix. Because of his appeal unto Caesar, Paul was then placed in a possible grain ship and brought to Rome. Chapter 27, through the eyes of Luke, he begins to tell the readers and listeners how Paul was delivered to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus band. As one begins to read chapter 27, Luke begins with accurate details of the beginning of a dangerous voyage. Paul, who was not a stranger to being on a ship, says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 25, he says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, Paul says. So this tells us that Paul understood the dangers of leaving in certain times of the month. Deciding not to winter into the fair heavens, havens, their goal was to winter in the larger and the safer port, port of Phoenice or Phoenix. Paul, according to Luke, admonishes the crew not to leave, but in your reading, they ignore Paul's warning. Because he knew of the sailing conditions of this certain time of the year. Since this haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, Acts 27 and 12. And not long after that, in verse 14, a tempestuous wind called a, called a Euroclidon arose. According to history, this was called in the Greek Eurokilo, and in the Greek Euroclidon, meaning east wind and north wind. So a northeaster, as you would call it. As you continue to read this chapter, it reads as a movie script, given every detail of what happened to this boat. The sailors on how they tried to control the boat. And the speech that Paul gave to the crew. But it was a speech encouraging them that an angel stood by Paul in a dream and told him that he must be brought before Caesar. So saints of God, when God tells you to do a certain thing, there is nothing, nothing that's going to stop your ministry when God tells you what to do. No matter what hell is brought against you, no matter how many demons are brought against you, no matter how much your wife or your husband don't want you to go. God has called each and every one of us to a ministry, and he expects us to do it. 
And it says the angel said that to Paul, and God has given thee all them that sail with thee. See, when God has a work for you to do, you must do it even though others may not believe you. You have to trust God that he will take, not only, take you not only through the storm, but all that are in your household. But they have to decide if they want to stay in the ship and on this journey with you and I. Those that are, are listening on, online and, 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 and hear the audience, if you have a spouse or a loved one that cares deeply for you, stay. I'm sorry. If you have a spouse or a loved one that cares deeply for you, stay. It is not quite sure about being saved, but they care about you and your call of God. Tell them to stay the course with you because God is taking you on a journey that may be dangerous but if you stay in the ship you and I you and your spouse whoever you live with will get through it together because the, the, the vision that God gives for you and I it may save countless lives in our family. Just like Paul's situation and those that were with him. When you have someone in your home that is trying to get to shore by being saved, remember, they are trying to, like I said, get you there as well. In verse 28, it says, they drew near to some country, sounded, and found it 20 fathoms or 120 feet deep, 15 fathoms, or 90 feet deep. This indicated that the ship was getting closer to land. So just as we are in this life, the closer we get to our problems being taken care of by God, the less deeper it will be. We started off being tossed by the cares of this life and troubles on every side, from illnesses to a loss of a loved one, to financial situations, to promises that were given to you by family members and then taken away at the last minute. God is getting all those who trust and believe that an angel has stood by you this day to let you know that dry land is coming. And with that dry land, you're gonna have to witness to those that are on that land, fulfilling God's purpose to save a soul. I think it was Brother Walters who said, when Jesus got to the other side, two persons that were uh, demon-possessed came. But unless Jesus, if he didn't get to that other side, they would have still been running around full of demons. So you must get to the other side, you and I, to help save others. You may have to pick up firewood 
to keep others warm. And as Paul, a snake may come out and latch upon you, but shake it off into the fire and go about doing good and praying for the sick. Witness to those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for when you teach them about the gospel, they will feel the love that you have towards them, and it will cause them to want to come to church and give their life to Christ. In my closing, I'm almost done here. Think about this. When you and I decided that we wanted to repent of our sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and wanted to live a holy life before him, you and I set off a chain of events. We set off chaos. We set off problems. We set off difficulties. We set off our children not listening. We set off bankruptcy. We set off these things. But we sail on a dangerous course as well to who knows where, not knowing the outcome of this voyage. Days of being tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea, people of God, will eventually be calmed by God so that you can say to others, this is what my storm has done for me. It has caused me to be a better Christian, a better wife, a better husband, a better child, a better daughter, a better pastor to the sheep, a better minister. This is why storms are so important. They are to get you and I to the other side, to help those in need. So endure the storm, saints of God, so we can help those that cannot help themselves. Stay in the ship, saints of God. Stay in the ship. God bless you. Hallelujah. Let us stand. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord God for being with us. We thank you, Lord God, for being the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to stay in the ship as the storm comes around us, Lord. We thank you for being our guide and our leader. We ask you to remember this church, Lord, as this church may endure storms and the storms may come, Lord, that we will be ready, Lord God, to Stay in the ship, Lord, and fight the battles that you have set before us. Because when we're done, we shall come forth as pure gold. Lord, we thank you, Lord, and we bless you and we praise you. This we ask in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.